right. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. And do you ever find your heart or your mind just thinking about godly things throughout the day? I hope so. I hope you do. Today, we're going to conclude our series about God's promises and talk about a promise that my mind often wanders to throughout the day. And I hope your mind does too. The promise we're going to look at today is the promise of Jesus' return, his second coming. Now, there's something very, very interesting about this promise. This promise is referred to over hundreds of times in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Entire New Testament books are given just to this subject, First and Second Thessalonians and the book of Revelation. There are entire chapters just written about the second coming of Christ. Matthew 24 and 25, Luke 21, Mark 13. There are hundreds, literally, of references about Jesus' second coming. Jesus talked about it. Every single gospel talks about it. The Apostle Paul references it in many of his letters. Peter, James, John, Titus all reference it in their letters to the church. This is an extensive theological truth and a very, very well put together promise of God that we see in the Bible. Now the promise that Jesus will return to the earth a second time and establish his kingdom fully and make everything right again is referred to many ways in scripture. You'll see it as we look through a plethora of verses this morning. It's referred to as the second coming of Christ, Jesus' return, the coming of the Lord, the end of the age, the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord, and many more. So those are just some terms that you will see as we talk about this extensive subject in scripture. Now, many times I will open my Bible and I'll find a, a section of scripture and we'll spend a, a big bulk of time right in that scripture and we'll reference some other stuff. I want you to know this morning, we're going to jump around a lot, okay? So this, this will be a Sunday that you get to discover how well you really know the word, right? If you know where stuff is in the word. I remember when I was in uh, junior high and high school, one of the things my youth pastor used to do, he'd, he'd do this little game with us to help us learn where the books of the Bible were. He'd have a Snickers bar, with, you know, just the little ones. And uh, he'd call out uh, a Bible verse like Nahum 3.6. That's a hard one, by the way, Nahum 3.6. And uh, whoever could get to Nahum 3.6 first would, would get the candy bar. And um, sometimes it would take us a while, especially with Nahum. Um, and so I, that's how I learned the books of the Bible. Well, this morning, I want to encourage you, you get to flip around a little bit, but if you feel like following on the screen this morning, because we're flipping around a lot, I understand. I want to begin with something that I think is important just to give us a base uh, and a foundation of this promise of God, and that is to talk about what the second coming of Jesus is. And so I want to look at three things in particular that are really important. The first is this. It's a literal coming or return of Jesus. He's literally coming back. Now, this is important. You'll remember in the Old Testament, there's almost 300 prophecies that were about Jesus coming to earth the first time. 
Tons of them. About his birth, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection. 300 prophecies. And all of them were fulfilled by Jesus. That's a lot. So what that means is all of the prophecies that were in the Old Testament about Jesus' first coming, he fulfilled literally. He actually came here. And he actually did all those things. Which leads us to all the verses about his second coming. If all of the verses about his first coming he literally fulfilled, then it makes sense that all of the verses about his second coming he would literally fulfill. So that helps you and I understand that what we're going to look at and the verses we're going to look at and what our future is, is a literal return of Jesus Christ because none of the verses that we're going to look at have any sort of idea of, of it just being a figurative idea. Second, it will be a personal return of Jesus. Let me show you two verses in particular that are helpful for us to understand that. One's in Acts chapter 1 and one is in John chapter 14. The first one is Acts chapter 1 and let me set the scene for us real quickly. In Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus has died, he's risen from the dead, and now he's hanging out with the disciples. He's hanging out with about 500 of them, maybe in the Galilee area, and they're just hanging out this one day, and this is the day that Jesus returns back to heaven. But listen to what the Bible says about that moment and how it can help us understand the second coming of Jesus. Verse 9 of Acts chapter 1 says, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now here's what's important about understanding that this will be a personal return of Jesus. Verse 11 says what? This same Jesus. So the Jesus that was just standing in front of them 10 seconds ago, that they knew, that they had spent three years with, that they watched die on the cross, that they now know as their risen Savior, this same Jesus will return. So it will be a literal return. It will be a personal return of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said about it personally in John 14, verse 2. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Here's the phrase. Jesus says what? I will come back. Turn to your neighbor and say with a little bit of an accent, I'll be back. When Arnold in the first Terminator said, I'll be back, he came back, didn't he? And hell with him, right? 
I mean, he destroyed everything. Now, here's what's interesting. When Jesus come back, will there be some destruction? Yes, there will. Because when Jesus comes back and we go to meet him in the sky, if there's a billion of us on the planet that believe in Jesus, there will be a couple disasters as you and I are all gone. And there's a gray area about, is God going to take all the kids certain age up with him? Uh, you know, it's like a gray area. We don't really have a good, but if all the kids are gone, yikes, people are going to be freaking out. There's going to be some destruction. If I'm driving my boat at that time, going fishing somewhere and all of a sudden I'm gone and my buddy in the boat, I don't know what that boat's hitting, but there's going to be some destruction, planes, cars, trains automobiles, everything. It's going to be crazy. But here's what we see. The return of Jesus is a personal return of Christ. He said, I will come back. This is not a figurative idea. This is not Jesus saying it will be someone else. It will be Jesus personally. The last thing is, it will be a visible bodily coming and return of Jesus. Now this one is extraordinary. In Acts chapter 1, the reference about Jesus says that he will come back in the same way that you saw him go to heaven. Now, just a quick reminder, disciples are standing there. Jesus is right in front of them. All of a sudden, he's rising off the planet into the clouds and gone. The angel says he will return in the same way. So his return will be a visible bodily return. Just like they visibly saw his body leave the planet, you and I, if we're alive, <laughs> will visibly see him come back. Now here's what's interesting though. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 talks about this event and how cataclysmic it is. This verse says, look, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be. Amen. Here's what's interesting. His return will be like his exit. But even more so, look at the, what the word says about this event being absolutely like no other event event we has ever seen on the planet. Not only will it be physical, it will also be spiritual. Follow me. The first thing the book of Revelation says in verse 7 is this. Every eye alive on earth will see him. Now, I don't know about you, but that does not happen on our planet right now. What you and I are looking at right now, the people in China cannot see right now on the other side of the world. That doesn't happen. That's like a physical impossibility right now, visually. But here's what I know. The Bible says when Jesus returns, everyone on the planet will see him. Here's what else I know. Our God is the God of the impossible. So I don't know how he's going to do this impossible thing, but he's been doing impossible things for a long time. In fact, do you know anyone in your life that has risen from the dead? See, he still does impossible things. Only he's done that. So impossible is part of his realm. Impossible is part of what he can do. And so when that happens, we don't know how it will happen. He will obviously bend time and bend our vision. And amazing, right? 
But here's what's even more amazing. Jesus also said, even those who pierced him will see him. Hold on a second. The people that pierced him have been dead for 2,000 years. So what is Jesus saying? That everyone who's ever lived from Adam to the time that Jesus returns will see him? Apparently. Apparently, this is not just something that will happen in the physical realm on the planet. It will also happen in the spiritual realm where you and I go when we die. So here, this event, Jesus' second return, is absolutely amazing. It will be spiritual and physical and eternal all at the same time. Why? Because everybody at that moment will get to understand that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords from the beginning to the end. One moment to reveal who Jesus Christ is. See, the second coming will be literal, it will be personal, and it will be in bodily form. What about the timing of this great event? Wouldn't it be nice to know when he's coming back? You could sell a lot of books. People have been selling a lot of books and they don't know anything. <laughs> so when will he return? This has been the debate of biblical scholars for 2,000 years. When will Jesus come back? It's also the prediction of many crazy people that have led the people of God in the wrong direction, right? We all know people that have said, oh, I know when Jesus is coming back. I'll give you 20 reasons in 2020 why Jesus is coming back. Jeez, don't waste your money, please. Let me tell you why you shouldn't waste your money on that. Look at some Bible verses that declare to us the biblical facts regarding the timing of Jesus' return. Let me give you three. There's a ton, but let me just give you three. Matthew 24, verse 36, and verse 42. Verse 36 says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Verse 42. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Ladies, when you received your labor pains. Did you get to escape that? You didn't, did you? <laughs> but when your labor pains came, you knew something was about to happen, didn't you? I'm going to have a baby soon. I don't know if it'll be a month from now or a week from now or tomorrow, but because of these labor pains, I know something is happening. Second Peter 3. But do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some 
understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, what do these verses tell us about anyone who says they know when Jesus is coming back? They're lying. That's right. Nobody knows. So if, if a month from now I stand up in front of you and say, hey, if we don't raise a million dollars pretty soon, God has told me that he's taking me home. What should you tell me? Bye. See you later. We don't follow crazy ideas, do we? We follow God's word. And even if that crazy person for some reason becomes me, I know you all think I'm half crazy because I'm a 49er fan already, but if the other half of me gets crazy and I say stupid stuff, you should point me back to God's word, amen? amen? We follow God's word, and God's word says, here's what we know about Jesus' return. Nothing. That's what we know. Now, here's what's interesting. When Jesus went back to heaven, I think he probably said to his father, we should go back in a couple days. Now, if a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, then you and I have different timing than God does, amen? Have you noticed that God has different timing than you do? <laughs> I've noticed that. He just does not answer my prayer in the timing that I want him to. God's timing is totally different than my timing. In fact, there was a man who once asked God, God, what is a, a million years to you? And the man said, like a second. The man said, well, God, what is a million dollars like to you? God said, like a penny. And the man said, could I have a penny? God said, sure, just give me a second. <laughs> what would happen if you did know the day? It's interesting that God doesn't tell us the day. Isn't that interesting? I think he does it for a reason. I think he has a purpose because he has a purpose and a reason for everything. Amen. But I think God knows what he's doing. I was thinking about this for a second. Like, Lord, why don't you tell us why? Well, I think there's two reasons. I know how I would respond. I would probably respond in two different ways. Hopefully, I would respond in this way. Hopefully, if I knew Jesus was coming back July 23rd, I would spend every waking moment trying to lead everyone to Jesus that I could. And that's probably what I should be doing anyway, amen, <laughs> since I don't know. But here's the point. That I hope that that's what I would do. But there's also this other side of me that would do what? I'd live like a heathen until July 22nd. <laughs> Let's be honest. There'd be days that I would just wake up and say, I'm, I'm, I'm getting four credit cards today, and I'm maxing them out. Like, I just do dumb stuff, right? I'd root for the Seahawks. I'd just do dumb stuff. <laughs> That's what I would do. Now, here's what's interesting. God doesn't tell us the time because he wants us to live today for him. I also want us to look at something interesting. The Bible tells us about Jesus' return. He, the Bible gives us signs or 
clues, warnings, kind of like predictions about when Jesus will come back. And earlier we referenced it, that the Bible talks about them being like labor pains. So when you see these things happening on the earth, you know I'm getting ready to come back. Just like when a woman feels labor pains, she knows, okay, the baby's coming soon. Here are the things that the Bible tells us, and I'm not going to read all of these verses because it would just take a long, long time. But in Matthew chapter 24 and in Luke chapter 21, and really Old Testament and New, these things are all repeated everywhere. The Bible details different signs and clues that you and I can have that tell us it's getting close. Here's what Jesus said the signs would be. He said there would be wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, famines, earthquakes, persecution of believers, that all nations would hate us because of Jesus. People would turn away from Jesus. False prophets would be deceiving people. There would be an increase in wickedness. The gospel would be preached in all nations. Now that one's interesting because we haven't preached the gospel in all nations, but we're getting really close. Anybody want to sign up to go preach to one of the nations that haven't heard? Okay, nobody. All right. So it was a rhetorical question. It says Jerusalem would be surrounded by armies. There would be astronomical things happening. There'd be signs with the sun and the moon and the stars and things going on up in space. Now, here's what's interesting. If you look at our world today, you can look at that list and go, boy, there kind of seems to be a lot of this stuff happening. And so in my mind, I kind of have this vision like Jesus is standing by the pearly gates in heaven, even though there really aren't any pearly gates. It's just in my mind. He's standing there. His army is behind him, and his giant white horse is in his hand, and he's looking back at Papa Daddy and saying, Today? Have you looked down there? Maybe we should watch ABC News tonight, because it's getting bad. That's, that's in my mind. But it's the Father who will tell him when he's ready to go, and he'll be here in a moment to set us free, permanently, forever. I'd like to finish with the importance and the purpose of this biblical promise. There are some very important reasons why Jesus wants this promise just kind of boiling inside of us just kind of resident there all the time. Now, I'll get to this in a moment. It shouldn't take over everything, but it should motivate you a direction. See, the promise of Jesus' return is motivation for you and I to serve Jesus today. This idea that Jesus could come back this afternoon or tomorrow or Wednesday morning or the middle of the night should motivate us to live for Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the entire chapter is about how you and I should live holy lives 
before Jesus Christ and the world around us because he might be coming back right now. Hebrews chapter 10 tells you and I as believers in the church that we should encourage one another, to love one another, to do good deeds for ourselves, to one another in the church, to the world outside, that we should never give up meeting together, that we should always serve at youth group and VBS and go to every men's function and everything that the women provide. I'm just making that up. <laughs> but that's the context, right? Never, it says, don't give up meeting together. And all the more as you see the day approaching. This verse challenges us to faithfully meet together. And even more, since we know Jesus' return is soon. 2 Timothy 4 tells us that we should preach the word all the time because Jesus' return is coming soon. But let me finish with two references to Jesus' return that I think motivate us into our primary calling as believers. Because our highest calling, our number one job, our greatest responsibility is to help every person on the planet believe in Jesus Christ. That's our hope, but it's also our responsibility to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now look at two verses with me. Titus 2 and Acts 1. In Titus 2, verses 11 to 14, Titus says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, Titus does a great job here of helping us understand that the life that we live right now, as we think about the appearing of Jesus Christ, should be motivated in a certain direction. It should be motivated to offer salvation to all people. That should be our motivation, our friends and our family members, our co-workers, people on the other side of the world, missionaries that we give to that are living in foreign countries that are helping people believe in Jesus. This should be our motivation to offer salvation to all people while we're waiting for this blessed hope of Jesus' return. We're also to be living this holy life where we're saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions and we're living self-controlled, upright, and holy lives. Here's the point. While we wait for Jesus' return, we're to live in such a way that honors Jesus every moment of our day. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and 8 is the next one. In particular, this is one of my favorites. In Acts chapter 1, you'll remember that this is the moment where the disciples are hanging out with Jesus. He's died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. And in their minds, 
they're now following somebody that can't be killed. So this is a pretty particularly interesting moment for them because they're thinking, this is awesome. Our leader cannot die. Which, by the way, then leads you to a whole new set of thought processes as a follower of this king. And so they, they ask the question that we would probably ask as well in verse 6. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, now that you can't be killed, are we going to grab some swords and march on Jerusalem and kick all the Romans out and conquer the world? Because nobody can kill you. That makes sense, right? But Jesus says to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now here's what's interesting. Jesus said, that we all will have a tendency to want things on earth to be set right. We all will want Jesus to do certain things for us. But Jesus says, I need you to concentrate on the most important thing, being a witness. From the place that you live to the ends of the earth. Jesus puts aside this idea of when he will come back and make everything right again. And he says, guys, don't worry about that. Gals, don't be concerned with that. What you should be concerned about is your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus. That people group who's never heard the gospel, ever. Getting the Bible in, in that language so that those people could read God's word on their own. These are the things that the believers of Jesus Christ should be concerned about and spend their time, resources, and abilities to achieve while we are alive now. That is what Jesus told us. Now, part of the reason that we do this is because this promise of Jesus' second coming is resident in our heart. It's being thought about in our mind. And in the back of our resources, we're thinking, today could be the day. So I might need to share Jesus with somebody. I need to live my life in such a way that my friends and my neighbors and my coworkers can see Jesus in me because who knows, today could be the day. By the time it's lunchtime and we're hanging out in the break room, Jesus could come back. So I better live for him between between 9 and noon, so that people can see Jesus in me. That's the point. That's the reason. That's the purpose. Would you stand with me as we close? I'd like to commission us this morning to this idea of going. Of going into all the world and communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because you and I have this promise resident inside of us, 
we recognize that that needs to be our heart's desire. To share Jesus with the world. With our words, with our lives, with our actions. Everything we do, dedicated and devoted to Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would give you power to do that. You and I are filled with the Holy Spirit and are being empowered by Him. So I want to encourage you to go and share Jesus with those around you. If you don't believe in Jesus, I want to encourage you in something. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, today's the day. I think you should talk to one of your friends or family members that know Jesus and help them, let them help you see how important Jesus is. Let them say a prayer with you. Let them help you understand what relationship with Jesus is like. And if you'd like to talk about it a little bit more, I'll hang out up front. I'd love to pray with you or talk to you about that. But could we just end this morning in a prayer just saying yes to Jesus to move forward and to be motivated by this powerful promise? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for what you are doing in us. Thank you, Jesus, that you came a first time, that you died on a cross and you rose again, and because of that, we're free today. We're free people walking and living in the grace, the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And Lord, would you help this promise of your second coming to become just as important in our hearts and our minds and help it to motivate us to be expectant every single day that you could come back and that we would live our lives in such a way that they show the world around us how important you are. Lord, if there's some in this room that don't believe in you, would you help them today to begin to think about how important a relationship with you is if you don't, if you're in this room and you don't believe, I want to encourage you, let today be your day. You've got to talk to someone about Jesus because you've got to be ready. You need to be ready when Jesus returns. And we love you here and we want you to be ready. So talk to somebody today about what it means to say yes to Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for today. And we close with this understanding that we leave here with a great responsibility for you. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said, amen. 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 Thanks for coming to church this morning. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.